Well, good morning once again. It's, it's good uh, to see your faces. Uh, we certainly in this time have missed the, the fellowship and the gathering that we normally do, but I thank God that we're able to meet uh, um, for those of you who are able to come and for those of you who are able to join us online, we are grateful for that and we're grateful for the technology to be able to gather together in this way. This morning, uh, the title of the message that uh, I've prepared is The Necessity of Suffering. And it's taken from 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Suffering is one of the great realities and enigmas of life. The question of why God allows suffering and suffering in our world is one that theologians and philosophers and brilliant minds have wrestled with throughout human existence. And today I'm not going to try to tackle that grand theme or pretend to answer uh, the questions of suffering in anywhere uh, near a, a full measure. My purpose today actually is to talk about suffering in the life of the Christian, suffering in our lives. But before we dig into that, I do want to acknowledge the suffering that we have overall in our world. And I know that uh, probably many of you, uh, like myself, have been thinking a lot more about suffering over these past few months. In fact, I would say for my own self, I've probably thought more about it uh, since this coronavirus started uh, than I have at, for, at any other period really in my life. We live in a world that certainly is suffering. We're in the midst of this global pandemic, and it's a, really, it's a very real pandemic, and death um, has hit our world. Um, we've been, even in this congregation, affected by it personally. Um, and so it's a very, very real thing. We've also faced, many people in our world, and even in our congregation, have faced economic hardship and certainly all of us have faced the loss of many ordinary things that we enjoy doing with our families, celebrating uh, the events of our life, the graduations, the birthdays, the anniversaries, and just gathering together as people. We also, of course, have seen in the last month, six weeks, uh, the racial injustice that is in our country still that has been highlighted and the many people that suffer in ways that uh, many of us are not able to fully appreciate and understand. We have the political divisiveness and the polarization in our country. And certainly throughout the world, we see poverty and disease and war, famine. And we also see the loss of a moral center in our culture. So in a very real way, 
We are suffering, both as a world and as a nation. We're suffering globally, nationally, locally, in our families, and individually. All of us to some degree, some of us much more. And while this is all very real, I want to talk this morning about our unique suffering as Christians. First Peter is a wonderful book that I've spent a lot of time in recently. It's written to the early Christians who were in exile. And in it, Peter lays out a theology of suffering that gives hope. The key verse of 1 Peter, most commentators will agree, is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, which says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 1 Peter teaches us about suffering. I do want to acknowledge this morning that uh, much of what I have to say has been influenced by a couple of uh, men who I believe are real God, uh, gifts from God to the church. Uh, one is uh, Paul Miller, who wrote a book in the last year called J-Curve, which deals with dying and rising with Jesus in everyday life and talks a lot about suffering. And I've also listened recently to the sermons of Tim Keller that have talked about suffering out of 1 Peter. And I thank God for teachers in the church that can help us to grasp these things in, in a better and, and fuller way. Let's go to our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice." Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. Father, we pray that your word would pierce our hearts today, that you would open our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to hear your word and to obey it. I pray for all those that are watching online or in this service today, I pray that those of us who need comfort, conviction, encouragement, you will bring that to us. And Father, if those, there are those in our midst who need converted, I pray that your spirit would be present to convert. We pray your word would go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I would submit to you that as Christians, 
we are called to a unique type of suffering that the world does not know. We can stand firm in our faith in the midst of this suffering if we understand three things. The first thing that we need to understand is the promise of suffering in the life of the believer. The second thing is the purpose of suffering in the life of a believer. And the third is the perspective on suffering that provides true hope to the believer. So we're going to dig into these three things this morning. So let's look first at the promise of suffering in the life of the believer. And we see this in verse 6, where Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We will face suffering as believers. It's interesting that that little clause, if necessary, is in there. The hard truth is it is necessary. Suffering is necessary. The New Testament makes this clear in many places, but First Peter, uh, later in the book, in chapter 4, verse 12, he writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you as though something strange were happening. James says, count it all joy when you fall into trials of many kinds. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3.12, goes a step further and talks about persecution and says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And the words of our Lord himself, in John 15.20, where he said, A servant is not above his master. If they persecuted me, and they certainly did, they will also persecute you. So we should expect trials, we should expect suffering, we should even expect persecution. And I think a big part of our struggle with this is a poor understanding of it, both in our culture and dare I say, a poor theology of suffering in our churches. You see, our secular culture teaches us that suffering should be avoided at all costs. We don't want to suffer. We should do everything to avoid it. And let me just say this. We are not masochists. There are things we can do to alleviate suffering, and we should do that. Okay, Not all suffering is stuff that we should take on and not fight against. But, oftentimes, we in the church have adopted this view also and been very complicit in it and think that God simply wants us to be happy. And it's just God's job to make us happy. So let's talk for just a bit about what is suffering. Well, first, of course, as I said in my opening statements, there is the general suffering of the broken world. We all suffer. It rains on the just and the unjust. And we all suffer because we live in this world and because we have death, disease, sin. We're impacted by it all. 
And even as Christians, much of our suffering is because of our own sin. We are simply reaping sometimes, oftentimes, the things that we have sown. But God has chosen for us as Christians to have a particular type of suffering. When many of us think of suffering, our minds immediately go to that persecuted Christian in that nation far away that's hostile to the gospel. And few of us can relate to that. Although I might say that it appears from some of the things happening in our culture that we might more and more be facing some of that here. But let's talk about some other ways that we suffer. Paul Meller in J-Curve talks about suffering as little deaths. Talks about choosing to die with Christ. And he talks about this as being part of the normal Christian life. What might some of this look like? Well, it might look like being willing to identify with Christ and his cause when it causes us a loss of social status and we're seen as intolerant because we only believe in one way. It might cost us career advancement because we're not willing to do certain things that we would need to do to advance in our career. It might cost us money. We might choose to give away money that we could rightly spend on ourselves for a new car or a vacation, but instead we choose to give that away. We might suffer when someone else gets credit for the work that we've done and we don't correct the record. Or how about when somebody does wrong to us and we choose not to retaliate? Or even the suffering we do as Christians when we live according to the Spirit and not according to our own flesh. When we choose, when we're tempted by lust or gossip or pride and we choose to kill that sin rather than indulge in it. Suffering is relative. What can be small to one is very real to another. But I believe that we will never learn to suffer in big ways until we learn to suffer in small ways. I've wondered at times, would I have the strength if my life was on the line and I needed to uh, save my skin by denying Christ or confess him? But the truth of the matter is, whatever I'm doing now in those little ways is what I would do then. So if I'm not doing it now, I couldn't expect to do it God to give me the grace to do it then. But if God has given me the grace to do it now, he will give us the grace to face whatever we need to face in the future. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Suffering is indeed promised. We also see that we can stand firm in our faith in the midst of suffering if we understand the second thing, and that is not only the promise of suffering, but the purpose of suffering. You see, the goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The goal is not to get to heaven, contrary to what many people may think. And I fear sometimes in our emphasis on grace and justification 
that we lose sight of that. And we just think about it in terms of justification and going to heaven. But God has a purpose in suffering that is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And let's look at verse 7. It says, verse 6 again, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And then in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the great purposes of suffering for the Christian is to test the genuineness of our faith. This is certainly not for God, but for us, for other believers, and for a watching world. Is our faith a superficial profession, or is it real? Suffering helps us see ourselves for who we are, and turn to Christ in faith and repentance. It reveals our idols of comfort and pleasure and security. Paul says our faith, or Peter rather says, our faith is more precious than gold that perishes in the fire. And many of you, I'm sure, have heard the illustration of the metal worker who's refining the fire, the silversmith. And he works that fire and it burns off the dross, and he gets it to the point, what he's shaping to the point where you can actually see your reflection in the glass, or I mean, I'm sorry, in the, in the silver, in the metal. Christ is purifying us to the point where he can see and others can see his reflection in us. You see, God is committed to our sanctification. He knows exactly what is needed in our lives. He is at work, as we say, for our good and for his glory. John Newton had a wonderful saying that we should write down and repeat to ourselves. Everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing is necessary that he withholds. I'll say that again. Everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing is necessary that he withholds. If it's in my life, I need it. If it's in your life, you need it. That should convict us, convict me to stop complaining about what God sends into my life. You see, God is committed to raising us just like good parents are committed to raising responsible kids. Connie and I are not parents, but we have a lot of nieces and nephews, and we've watched our siblings and people raise kids. And you can't raise kids without at some point them telling you how terrible you are. Without them saying you're mean, you don't understand, you're the meanest parent ever. Why did you do this to me? We do that to God. But God can see the big picture. He is committed to whatever we need in our life. He is trying to raise kids who will be responsible adults. The second purpose we see in suffering is it helps us develop true compassion for others. You see, as Christians, we are not Stoics. We feel when we go through suffering. 
And I fear this is where we've also got it wrong at times in our evangelical Christian culture, where we believe that um, if we're not rejoicing and having the victory all the time in Christ, that somehow we've lost um, the victory. But suffering is real, and we should acknowledge the pain both in our own lives and the lives of others. Acknowledging the pain in our own life and feeling the pain in our own life helps us to feel and acknowledge the pain in others. Tim Keller has said that Christians should be both the happiest and the saddest people in the world. Think about that. Christians should be both the happiest and the saddest people in the world. We should be the happiest because we know our eternal salvation is taken care of. The wrath of God, which is the greatest thing we fear, has been taken care of in Christ. But we should also be incredibly sad because we, of all people, can see the reality of sin and brokenness in the world. We, of all people, can feel what people are feeling. We should be sad when we see the injustice of racism. We should be sad when we see the effects of poverty. We should be sad when we see the inequalities. And we should be sad when we see the war and the injustice. And we can only do that as we enter in to people's suffering and to our own suffering. Jesus, the Bible says, was a man of sorrows. And the prophet Isaiah said, we hid as it were our faces from him. We didn't want to face that. None of us. Jesus cried often, yet he was the most emotionally balanced person in the universe. Are we willing, am I willing, to enter into the suffering of others so that we can love them better? Finally, we can stand firm in our faith in the midst of suffering if we understand the perspective of suffering that gives true hope to the believer. What is this perspective? We see it in verses 3 to 5 and again in verses 8 and 9. Look with me to verse 3 to 5 and it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have perspective because we have an inheritance. If you were to be adopted by Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, and they were to say, we're going to take you in as our child and we're going to give you the inheritance that we have. It's all going to be yours. I have a feeling you and I would be pretty happy. We'd probably feel pretty secure in some things. We've been given much more by God through Jesus Christ. A full salvation as sons and daughters of God. Let's look for a moment at verse 9, where it says you're receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
It's interesting, commentators note that the word there for souls could just as easily be self or person. Think with me for a minute about that. We will ultimately be fully redeemed into the person that God has created us to be. We all have a longing to be known. We all, our world is obsessed with it. Obsessed with finding yourself. Guess what? God is going to help us find our true selves. We will ultimately be fully redeemed into the person he has created us to be. And as we look to the future and look to that, that helps us to endure. You see, because life here is as a Christian, is not meant to be comfortable. In fact, Paul said, when speaking of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If we're giving up everything we're giving up, if we're going through everything we're going through, just for this life, it's a pity. But... We have this perspective and a living hope because of the gospel. You see, the good news is God has caused us, verse 3, to be born again to a living hope. And verse 6, the beginning of the verse where it talks about trials, says, in this you rejoice. It's not talking about the trials. It's talking about what came before, which was the inheritance that we have that's imperishable. You see, this world and everything in it, including us, is very broken. But God is coming again in Christ, and He will create a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Many people think about heaven and they think about going off and sitting on a cloud and playing a harp, or an eternal worship service. For many of us, honestly, that's not very attractive. But the Bible says that he's building a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Think about the Garden of Eden. It's going to be like that, only better. We're going to have real bodies like Jesus has his resurrected body. We are going to eat and we are going to drink and we are going to feast and we are going to work and we are going to do wonderful things together for eternity and glory and honor to God. That is what's coming. So if we're going to face the promise of suffering, if we're going to understand the purpose of suffering, we need to apply the gospel into our lives. This is the application, folks. Let the gospel go deep into your heart. Let the good news that although we are much more wicked and deserving of hell than we could ever imagine, we are also much more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever dare hope or dream, as Tim Keller has said. That is a profound, profound truth. In conclusion, we live in tumultuous times. I believe God is using this pandemic to purify 
his people. He's going after our idols of comfort, security, pleasure. And even as we see what's going on in our country for uh, those of us who love our country and are really concerned, maybe America's an idol to us as American Christians. Doesn't mean we don't want to work for the good of our country, but ultimately we are not citizens of this country. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. John Piper, the noted pastor and theologian, wrote a prayer at the beginning of the coronavirus that many of us, many people around the world have been praying, and I'm going to share just a portion of that prayer. After he prays for the virus to stop and for us to get a cure and all those things, he says this, but do not waste our misery and grief, O Lord. Purify your people from powerless preoccupation with barren materialism and Christless entertainment. Put our mouths out of taste with the bait of Satan. Cut from us the roots and remnant of pride and hate and unjust ways. Grant us capacities of outrage at our own belittling of your glory. Open the eyes of our hearts to see and savor the beauty of Christ. Incline our hearts to your word, your son, and your way. Fill us with compassionate courage and make a name for yourself in the way that your people serve. Wow. God is answering that prayer. Even that line in there about hate and unjust ways and look at what's happening in our country. God is answering that prayer. So brothers and sisters, let's understand the promise of suffering. If we expect it, it will help us. Let's understand the purpose of suffering to conform us to Christ, test the genuineness of our faith, give us compassion for others. But let's keep our perspective that can give us true hope in the midst of suffering. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Speak to our hearts. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.